Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And for today's episode, with 2023 wrapping up, we are going to be talking about what we learned, some of the key takeaways that that each of us had from this past year. And these are um, kind of a mix of both the you know things that we, that we picked up in our work um, but also things outside of our work, you know, things things in our lives or things that we we picked up from different things that we read or people we interacted with or conversations that that we had or different exercises that we're using with people. So um, maybe a little bit of a different episode than than some others that we've had in the past, but uh, definitely excited to uh, to dive into this topic. Yeah, I think it's always good to reflect back on your year, whether that's, you know, how you performed, but also, yeah, what did you learn from this year and, and how can you build on that going into into the next year? So I think today we're going to talk about, yeah, some of the things that we personally learned, but also some things that we've been working on with our clients more so this year, maybe some of their more common challenges this year or, or techniques that have been specifically helpful throughout the year. And of course, a lot of the things that we read and we talk about, you know, inform the interventions and, and you know, conversations that we have with our clients. So, um, Josh, you want to get us started off with your your first item that uh, came to mind with lessons of uh, 2023? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big things, and this wasn't, wasn't brand new for me, certainly, but definitely something that I found myself using a lot more this year and I've really... I would say tinkered a little bit with my approach to this particular tool is just just really diving a little bit deeper into uh, mental rehearsal and visualization. And I have just as I started reflecting on, you know, this year and maybe some of the takeaways, that was definitely one of the things that they came to mind that I just just really seeing that, you know, by utilizing visualization and mental rehearsal a little bit more with athletes that they feel that they have, you know, a tool that they can utilize, whether it's something that they utilize on the court, whether it's something that you, they utilize before they perform as sort of a, a way to, you know, essentially practice what they're going to do and how they want to respond to different situations or, you know, practice their form or, you know, again, this can be used in different ways. Um, but I, I have found that a lot of, as I have, you know, tried to utilize it more in this year, I've found that a lot of athletes have really latched onto it and have really, um, you know, enjoyed using it and have found found benefit in, in using that particular skill. 
Yeah, I've noticed that as well. I had um, one client who is a, a pickleball player, uh, former tennis player. And one of the things that she noticed was because uh, she, she really gravitated toward visualization. And she noticed that when she lost a little bit of the discipline with it, it had an on-court impact. So it immediately reminded her that she needed to continue her discipline with her, you know, her weekly visualization exercises. And it's interesting, Josh, I'm sure you see this, that even though this is a skill that is not necessarily that difficult to do and to engage with, like a lot of mental training, it takes some discipline to simply sit down and dedicate the time to it. Um, but you see, I think, different athletes gravitate to it more than others. And it tends to be the ones who are really serious about what they want to do, who will do it and then get a lot out of that as you, you know, with the rehearsal piece. And so I had several athletes that I work with, not just tennis players who really took that on this year and, and had a lot of success. And as you said, you know, it helps to build confidence. It can, it can help with, um, you know, your form, your technique, et cetera. So uh, certainly that's something we encourage everybody to engage with, even if it's just more imagination and and visualizing some highlights. Absolutely. And as we've talked about, you know, in our episodes, and I know we've, we've uh, I think we each did a, a masterclass on, you know, on, on different visualization techniques. Um, there are, you know, different methods to, to doing it. You know, one, I, I would say the method that I utilize most is the scripting method you know, sort of talking about, you know, sort of starting by talking about some of the, the different benefits and, and sort of how to do it. And then finding, you know, helping an athlete come up with a script right, where they're able to, you know, essentially tell a story, tell a story, and maybe it's about a paragraph long, and write out that story using, you know, as many details as possible, using senses, using emotions, really trying to add in things that when they read it back, or ideally listen to it back, because, um, after you write it out, you can record it, that it's something that you can, you know, really use as a resource. And since you have some of those details, it helps it feel a little bit more vivid, a little bit more realistic, um, and, and can hopefully put you in that moment a little bit more, right? Thinking about maybe the breeze, the feeling of the breeze, or feeling of the, the feeling of the grip in your hand, or, you know, the, the smell of the freshly cut grass nearby, or whatever some of those vivid senses or some of the emotions that you expect to experience are, but the more you can include some of those, the, you know, it, it tends to put you in the moment a little bit more. So, um, so yeah. And, and again, I, I would encourage, I know we've, we've talked about this episode, this topic before in, in, in the past and past episodes. So, you know, people can, can absolutely check that out or, you know, also reach out to us at tennis IQ podcast at gmail.com with, with questions about this particular topic. I, I also find that it's, one of those topics, maybe like meditation, maybe like a couple other topics where the term gets thrown around, right? Maybe by coaches, maybe by parents, they say, oh, like, you know, visualize yourself being successful. And sometimes people will hear that. But, you know, I think what's really important is how, how we do it. And I, I, as we were saying, you know, there's different ways to do that. You can visualize form, you can visualize different responses, you can visualize a whole host of different things. But I think, you know, just having some guidance about about how you do that can be can be really helpful. 
Yeah, and just a reminder, you know, we like you said, Josh, we we both did a master class on that, and you know, if you're interested in seeing these master classes, you can go to our Patreon page and and um, look up the information about how you can get access to that. So you know, Patreon.com/slash Tennis IQ Podcast. Um, so that's yeah, I think visualization is is a great thing to do, um, and certainly uh, a good maybe reminder in your own work and both of our work that this is something we should work on with, with, with players. I think the first, um, big lesson slash reminder for me this year, uh, was also something you covered in a different masterclass. You played a video of Rafael Nadal describing essentially how to do mental training. And he starts off the video by saying you work mentally when you don't complain. When you don't complain about playing poorly, you don't complain about maybe aches and pains that you're feeling. And instead, you know, you basically put a good face on it, have a good attitude, uh, use good body language, and then you just practice with passion because these things are normal. And so not that that's not new, but what, what is, what's happening there is really kind of interesting and it also tuned me into a book that I finished this past year, which was Mindset by Jackie Reardon and Hans Deckers, who make a good distinction between problem and story thinking and solution in action thinking. Um, and what is Rafa saying when he's saying don't complain? He's saying basically stop making up this story about what's wrong. Um, it is what it is. You have to learn to accept it. And whatever is going on with you is probably pretty normal. It's, it's normal we won't play well in practice sometimes. It's normal we have aches and pains as tennis players. So accept it and now move on to what you actually want to do. You know, and for him, you know, Rafa, I think he has, we've talked about personas at, at times. He has a persona of maybe this sort of raging bull type champion guy. And so he does what that that person would do. He just simply has great body language and he goes out there and, and practices with with passion. So he's able to accept what happened and then then move on. So I think that that's a really good basic way to start to choose to see how I can overcome these little challenges. We all complain about stuff. Can we learn to notice we're complaining and then shift to, all right, what do I actually want to do about it? Because this complaining stuff is not going to give me a good training session today, or it's not going to give me a good match. So how can I put my best foot forward? How can I be that, that player that I really want to be? What, what would that player do? And then commit to that. So very much sort of like an acceptance of what's going on and then committing to what you want to do. That could be sort of mindfulness acceptance it could be sort of an acceptance commitment piece but it's that noticing hey yeah i'm complaining i don't like what's going on can i shift away from that story into into action into something i want to do and so um i think it's it's more it's, what is that video josh maybe 50 seconds it's not long at all but it's like one of the greatest training videos you could show someone even though it's so basic Absolutely. And I, th I think it, it actually ties into an important idea that we've 
we've talked about a lot in in past episodes this idea of trying to view different types of situations as as a challenge as a challenge or as an opportunity rather than a threat um and i think if i were to to guess i think rafa developed this attitude from a from a young age and i know um tony nadal his his uncle and longtime coach um used an interesting method where they would you know they would practice with dead balls they would practice on courts with cracks in them they would you know practice in conditions that were less than ideal really with the idea of helping him build mental toughness and also with the idea of trying to you know so that he wouldn't complain in these types of situations right so that if if he's playing in a match and the balls get dead it's you know that's okay he's practiced with that before you know that that's not a reason to complain or not an excuse if he loses or if the court has a crack in it or there's a weird bounce okay that that doesn't need to be an excuse either right and i think it's it's the same type of thing where you know when things aren't going well in practice and matches you, you know that's you, you know you can view that as a threat to yourself or to your ego or you know i i think i'm this caliber of player but today i'm not showing that level you know that that doesn't feel right you know it, it's very easy to um to get upset by that or to to have that feel like maybe a threat to to you or to to maybe the way that you see yourself but i think that there there is an opportunity there there is the opportunity to work on your mental game to work on how you're going to respond to situations where you're not playing your best to situations where things aren't ideal and the more that you can respond you know, the the better you can respond to those situations, the better you'll respond to those situations in the future. So it really is just practice, you know. And and I think also, you know, that it's that that idea of sort of everything being practiced, which I know is something we've we've talked about with you know Christina Rolo and Dave Dehan and in our past episode with them. Um, you know, every, every day at practice, every day during a match is ultimately is practice for the future, and you know those those days where things aren't going so well, when you choose to, as Rafa said, to, to handle it in the right way, to not complain, to try to find a way, to try to have a good attitude despite all that, you're training. You're training during those moments, right? It might be frustrating still the way that you're playing, but if you can decide, you know, decide to look at it in a different way, you can really get a lot out of that experience. Yeah, and Tony Dudal tells a story in a TED Talk he did some years ago where uh, it was before Rafa was going to play Federer for one of the first times. And, and Rafa asked him, you know, how do you see today's match? And Tony's, well, his forehand is better than yours. His backhand is better than yours. The volley isn't even close. And forget about the serve. And, you know, Rafa's not feeling too confident at that point. But he said, you know, well, wait a second. You know, when you go out onto the court, you know, knowing all these things, the idea is to look for solutions. And that's what you bring is understanding what the matchup is and you look for solutions. And everything you just described, Josh, was about finding a way, figuring out a solution. And that's, I think, and that's what Tony talks about his philosophy has always been when you go out on the court to find solutions, accept what things are. But find ways to make it make it happen. So I think, uh, yes, Rafa did learn that from a very early age. I mean, he won 
the, I think the first time he played Federer was in Miami when he was pretty young, and he, you know, he won three and three in a in a surprise match, um, and has obviously had a good career uh, against Federer since since that time. Um, all right, what is your second big lesson from the year, Josh? So my my next one is that um, every conversation, every interaction, really is is an opportunity an opportunity to learn and, and in a certain way that kind of kind of fits in a little bit to what you were saying about you know about rafa's approach but you know trying to really remind myself that um you know every time i interact with somebody whether that's the that's a client whether that's you brian with our with our podcast episodes or some of the other things we've we've done, you know, whether that's somebody that I interact with on the tennis court or, or elsewhere, you know, just trying to remind myself that, um, you know, each of these interactions really are an opportunity to learn. You know, you have some, I think if you can approach situations that, you know, in the way that you have something to learn from everybody and you have something to learn from every interaction, then you're open to what they have to say, right? You're, you're coachable, you're, you know, you're, you're open to, to learning, to changing, to maybe seeing things in a slightly different way, rather than going at things with maybe more of a fixed approach, as if we know it, as if we know everything, as if we don't have more things to learn. Um, so I think just sort of that shift in, in thinking has been really powerful for me, because I, th- I think I've, you know, and, and I guess, I, obviously, I'm, I'm not, not perfect in this, but, but try to do a better job of, being present, try to do a better job of, you know, really trying to listen rather than sort of waiting for my chance to speak, which I think can happen at times. And and I, I've certainly been guilty of that myself, but, you know, really trying to take in what the person that I'm interacting with is saying. And I, I have found that that really can make a, makes a huge difference just in terms of um, you know, what I can learn or take away from a particular conversation or interaction. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, I think I'm hearing a little bit of beginner mindset in there too. Um, many of us in the world look at ourselves as experts. And yeah, then when we do that, we tend to turn off maybe what we're hearing. And I think uh, we all go, hopefully go through a transition where, where we might have thought of ourselves as an expert, but then realize, we, we come to a realization that the more you know, the more you understand you don't know. And, um, you know, in tennis, there's a great example <clears throat> of this uh, where I live. I live in Newton, Mass, uh, Massachusetts. And the former men's tennis coach from Harvard, Dave Fish, lives, lives in the same town. And Dave's a great mentor to many people. He's a great role model as a coach. He was, he was coach at Harvard for many, many years. Great teams. Played there before that. And I like to watch Dave interact with other people. I tend to be the kind of quiet, reserved one who observes things. And Dave isn't the one out there just giving unsolicited advice. No matter what your level is and who you are, he's asking questions. He's looking you in the eye. And he's really engaged in what you're saying because you can tell that he want, he, he believes exactly what you just said, that you can learn from anyone about, you know, different points of view, et cetera. You know, and we're all unique individuals. We all have unique experiences, 
um, those experiences are certainly valid to who you are. And it's, I think, you know, in our position, Josh, we're kind of like unique collectors of different experiences. And it just gives us more breadth and depth into what we can do for players because we can understand different situations. It's nothing is like, oh yeah, that's normal. Here's, here's the formula for that. Uh, it's more like when we're open to that kind of listening, we can help co-create solutions with players because they, they know a bit about themselves more than we do, but they don't always know as much about themselves as they think they do. And that's where I think that, that, that collaboration comes in. But I think that's a really good point about just being open to what you're hearing and being a great student of life. Yeah. And, and I think, I think when, when that is your, you know, when you're trying to turn on that sort of a perspective, yeah, you, you become open to, to, to learning from, from everybody. You have that sort of um, beginner's mind approach where, um, yeah, where, where you're rather than that, you know, okay, I'm the expert. Okay. You know, experts sort of, you know, I, I know, a lot, so much about this topic that there's not more for me to learn. You know, I, I think that's more of that fixed mindset approach rather than you know being able to be open to growing and open to to learning and maybe being proven incorrectly or having certain um, preconceived notions that you know changed over time. Um, so I think it's just a, a completely different way to to see things. And I I have found again I'm definitely not perfect at it, but definitely something that I'm, I'm trying to get better at and, and something that I, I learned along this year, you know, in terms of the, the importance of that. Yeah. So yeah. What, what is your next um, takeaway or next thing that you learned from, from 2023? I think the next one is um, sort of an evolution of the idea of control the controllables. Again, we did a masterclass on this particular topic, but we're going to call it the inside out approach. So uh, sports psychologist Charlie Unwin, who's from the UK, wrote a book called Inside Out. And it's a great discussion of how focus, confidence, those two things are, pretty, are very linked. Um, but the inside out approach is really about understanding what you can control and how it relates to the things that are not fully in your control. So we did an exercise where we listed everything we could control in a tennis performance and we, and we put that stuff inside a circle. And so we came up with attitude, um, effort, footwork, etc. Lots of different things. And um, all of that was like fully within your control. And then we started to talk about some things that were not fully within your control. Some of them maybe you had influence over, some of them you didn't. So things like winning, UTR, ranking, your opponent, bad calls, etc. Uh, weather, all that would go sort of outside the circle. And so when you think about an inside-out approach is if you stay inside the circle, really focus very well on those things you can control, it gives you a much better chance of achieving positive outcomes that are not fully within your control, right? So looking at the inside of the circle and radiating outwards. And so that approach really resonated with a lot of athletes this year. I've done that presentation for um, tennis players, uh, equestrian athletes, soccer players, etc. And it just gives a, a slightly 
more evolved way of talking about control the controllables because it also ties, it connects the controllables to outcomes that you would like to achieve. It, it, it sort of strengthens that relationship that, yeah, of course I want to win. But now I get that wanting to win comes through me focusing on these things that I can control. And, and if I do that, I have a better chance. And that's all you can really do in tennis, in a combat sport like this, where you have a direct opponent, is do everything you can to give yourself a better chance. There are no guarantees of that. There's no, almost never a 100% guarantee that you're going to win a match. Sure, there are some situations where that's the case, but that's not the norm. So to me, I really liked talking to players about this idea of being, you know, going inside out, being inside the circle, using the circle as a metaphor um, for, for doing this approach. And, uh, you know, I know we had a class about that. Um, and I think, you know, when we did that class, Josh, it's, I think you liked that approach. I think that was something that resonated with you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, it's, you know, the, this concept of control and the controllables is definitely something, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot. It's something I definitely talk about with, with clients that I work with tends to be, you know, the first thing or one of the first things that I bring up actually in terms of, you know, concepts. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really liked how, you know, rather than, than just separating what's in our control and what's not, um, being able to, as you said, being able to link what's in our control with some of these things that are outside of our control, like our UTR, like winning this match, like what other people might think of me, like, you know, what decisions my coach might make, things like that, um, that are ultimately out of our control, but that we can impact and influence through those things within our control, like our effort, our attitude, our decision-making, our preparation, self-talk, et cetera, et cetera. So um, definitely like that approach. And, um, you know, and I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think I, I appreciate the way that you, you know, sort of sort of outline that because I think that, you know, it's something that, that people can, can think about and, um, yeah, just, you know, it, it really is a fundamental, it, it stems from that fundamental um, question that, you know, of, of is this in my control or not, which, you know, stoic thinkers were thinkers and philosophers, you know, including Marcus Aurelius, we're talking about, you know, a couple thousand years ago. And, um, you know, and, and I think that that sort of basic fundamental question is a simple question, but it's also profound. And I think probably everybody has had situations where they've focused too much on things completely outside of their control, things that they can't do anything about. And if we're wrapped up and focusing on those sorts of things, then what we're not focusing on is, you know, what we can do about it. You know, what what is controllable in this situation? And, you know, I, I think it's it's important to be able to determine, you know, what are certain things that we we do always have full control over. And as regardless of the circumstances, whether this is tennis or life, um, there always are those controllable factors that we can choose to, you know, focus on and put our attention towards. Yeah, and I think that also relates back to, um, you know, shifting away from complaining, right? Probably complaining about stuff that is not fully within your control. And then what do you do about it? You bring it back to something you can control and, and choose to be excellent at those things that you can control. That will give you a better chance of having a good day. Um, all right. What is your next 
lesson from 2023? All right. So this one is definitely tennis specific. And, and it I would say it has to do with um, one of the unique qualities of tennis. Um, and really, that is that you can't run out the clock. You can't run out the clock in tennis. It's never over until it really is officially over. And I think, you know, and I, I know, Brian, this is something you've talked about a lot. And I, I think it's something that over this past 12 months or so that I've start really started to really think about and, you know, talking about with, with clients that I work with. And, you know, I, I think if we think about a sport like basketball, right, if a team is up by 30 points, and there's five seconds to go, the game is for all intents and purposes over, right? And foot, you know, American football, that's the same or soccer, you know, any sport really where there's a clock, it is possible and strategically important at the end of the game to, to simply just run out the clock and let the time tick down and then it's over. Tennis, and you know, there's there's other sports that we can add to this category as well. Um, but tennis is different from those sports that I previously mentioned in that there is no clock. So the match could be, it could be six. zero, six love, five love, 40 love. If the player who is down in the score starts winning points, starts winning, you know, points and, and their opponent starts losing points, especially some of these critical ones towards the beginning, obviously the match will turn around and the player who's down will come back and win. And that's really what it's about. And I think it's it's an important and, and that might seem very basic as well, but I think it really is an important concept because it's so easy for people to fall into this trap of thinking that matches are over. Okay, it's you know, I'm down a set or down a set in a break, you know what, this is over, you know, I, maybe it's time to look for an excuse, maybe I should, you know, think about what I should have done differently, you know, but I think there really is a different approach that Okay, matches turn around all the time. We see it at the professional level. Um, you know, a great example is on the um, at the the Davis Cup finals. For anyone that that watched, um, I think it was the semifinals this year between Italy and Serbia. Yannick Sinner was was facing Novak Djokovic and came back from being down three match points in the third set and won. And again, that this is against you know, an all-time great, maybe the greatest of all time, Djokovic, and, you know, was able to fight back against three consecutive match points. And, you know, we see, we we can probably think back to, to countless other professional matches. Um, and I'm sure each person who's listening can think back to matches in their own lives where either they've come back or their opponent has come back against them. And it's, it's very common. And I think the, the reason why, well, I think there, there's different reasons why, but I think this concept that you can't run out the clock and it, it never being over is a big part of it. We've also talked on this podcast about some of the different dynamics that can come into play when one player is trying to close out a set or a match and the other player is trying to come back, right? Where the other player who's trying to come back often has nothing to lose and is maybe playing a little bit more free or loose at that point, And the player is trying to close out the set or match often is feeling a lot of pressure, can tighten up, and it, it can be very easy for those dynamics to to shift and for that comeback to take place. So that that was one of my takeaways from the year and definitely sort of a theme that I saw um, kept coming up time and time again 
Um, what are what are some of your thoughts on that, Brian? Yeah, same here. That was a common theme this year of players. Um, whether we called it finishing, for some it was really more or less just holding the lead and you know dealing with that self-induced pressure of the score and and how not to let that get in their heads so much. But you know, same conversation sort of prefaced all of that was like, all right, this is one of the major challenges of the sport of tennis. It requires you to finish. So we have to start to think about this situation differently. Because at present, however you're thinking about it is creating, you know, the wrong emotions for you to succeed there. You mentioned challenge mindset earlier. Challenge mindset is a great way to look at this. Um, Instead of protecting your lead, can we think about maybe building your lead? mindset. So, you know, it's a good opportunity to play around with different ways of thinking about this, um, you know, necessary experience that we all have to go through to become great tennis competitors so that you can start generating the right kind of emotions that you want to have. Because quite frankly, uh, you're in a better position than your opponent if you are trying to finish the match. You're the one who's probably ahead. I'd rather be you than the other person. Even though you might want to switch places, the thing is, you're in a position to win. Your opponent is really in a position just to survive at that particular moment. Obviously, things can change. So how we think about these situations really matters. And um, like you said, Josh, this is, this is a particular challenge in a sport like tennis, other racket sports as well. Um, where there's no clock. Your probability of winning and losing is never 100 or zero until it's actually over. And like you said, yeah, the, the Sinner comeback against Djokovic in the Davis Cup was great. I mean, right there, like sort of right in this moment in time, two of the best players in the world, maybe the two best players in the world form-wise, going at it in such an important match. And and so it was so cool to, to see the fact that both of them really gave a lot of effort for Davis Cup. And, you know, we've all had those experiences of coming back. We've probably also had the experiences of losing leads as well. So we've been on both sides of the equation. And, you know, it's a good opportunity to look at those experiences and, and learn, learn from those to understand, all right, what do I think I need to do in order to finish better? Because whatever, if you're struggling with this, your current approach is probably not working. So how do we how do we change it? Because avoiding the situation is not really possible. Um, so that's not something we can do unless you just decide to avoid competition altogether. And that also is not uh, a recommended approach if you want to become a great tennis player or a great competitor. So yeah, definitely that that was a challenge that popped up a lot for me as well this year. Gotcha, gotcha, and and I think it, it's it's one of those things that will continue to pop, right? We will whether at the professional level, whether um, it has to do with our own games, you know, or, or people around us, you know. I, I think it is something we'll continue to see as as we're saying, you know, everyone has been through it, you know, probably on one side, you know, we, most people have probably experienced coming back and also having someone else come back against them. Um, and you know, it's a dynamic that will continue to happen. And I just, you know, I think it's trying to just understand, you know, I, I think 
when we think about sort of that interplay between one player maybe tightening up, starting to think more about the result and the other player often maybe letting go a little bit, you know, playing freely, you know, maybe there's something to be learned from those moments, something to be learned where from that looseness, something to be learned from sort of that way that the the player who's down can sort of let go and maybe stop focusing so much on the results. Um, and, you know, maybe the player who's ahead can try to maybe adopt some of that. I know Brad Gilbert has talked about sort of lying to yourself with the score. And, you know, if you're trying to serve out a match, almost telling, you know, telling yourself that you're actually, you know, okay, instead of me serving at five, four, no, it's actually four five, you know, almost like lying to yourself or telling yourself that so that you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that, you know, that, that you need to hold on to this game and sort of to keep the intensity in that way, rather than, you know, thinking about closing out a match, which can, you know, cause people to, to often overthink and to think about what could go wrong or maybe th- jump towards the future and think about, okay, if I win this match, this is how it's going to impact my my rating or my ranking or whatever it may be. So there's de- definitely different approaches there. For sure. Yeah. So I think one that's related, and this is really my my third lesson or, or um, big challenge from the year, notice with, with my clients is, is helping uh, players improve their self-image as a competitor. And that comes in two flavors. Many, many people um, talk to themselves negatively about, you know, their abilities to compete, uh, who they are. Maybe they limit themselves through, um, through that same self-talk <clears throat> about whether they can, they can win or not, they can do it, etc. cetera. Um, and then there are some players who have maybe just maybe too neutral of a self-image. They don't really think about who they are, who they want to be enough. Um, and, and then that ends up not kind of restricting them from achieving even greater things that they could. And so a big effort that I worked on this year was helping players see themselves as who they really wanted to be in the future. Now, we could say, for example, we could work with you, Josh, and say, all right, you know, you're, you're going to work on yourself as a champion. And you could come back and say, well, I haven't won anything. But that's fine. A champion isn't about achievements, per se. A champion is really a state of being, a state of a way of acting. And anybody can do that. Anybody can bring that kind of presence to the court, um, work on the discipline of what it means to be a champion, to train and practice like a champion, to, um, again, have the discipline of what a champion would do. And in fact, I would say those types of things are prerequisites to actually becoming a champion who wins and achieves various titles and, and so forth. Um, and so that was a, a, a big part of the work. And um, I used a few different techniques with that. One was um, a self-image exercise that comes from the book With Winning in Mind uh, by uh, Lanny Basham. And then another one, going um, to kind of a mixture of uh, story writing or new story it comes from either Jim Lair or um, Bob Litwin, both uh, uh, well-known in the tennis uh, realms. And so um, you know, using either one of those, helping players understand who they really wanted to be and what they would do to get there. Um, 
you know, a lot of that involves repetitive reading of the self-image and thinking about it each day and then going out and being that person each day. Um, and for those who, you know, who took on this work and, and did the repetitive reading for, you know, a month or two, really got a lot of benefit from that. Um, you know, reprogramming how we think about ourselves. I mean, it sounds like it should be easy. You know, thinking, it's easy, right? It's easy to think. But we don't realize that thinking patterns are also like skill patterns in the brain. They are, um, you know, habitual. There's, you know, if we think about the neural pathways, there's some, you know, depth and breadth to those neural pathways. Uh, If you think a particular way, you're going to think like that more often. And so how do we, you know, start to be, you know, untangle that? We have to do more repetitive engagement with how we want to be. And, and repetitive reading is, is one way of doing that. So that was, I think, some, some rewarding work to do this year with players to really see them change how they thought of themselves and, and open themselves up to um, possibilities. And, and many of them realizing those possibilities simply by uh, understanding that they could be more. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's that that deeper work of, you know, of self-image, of why, of, you know, some of these deeper questions I think is is really important. And I know we've we've had some some episodes, I think in maybe in the last couple of months where we've where we've talked about some some related topics. Um, but I, I think that's really, really important work. And um no, I, I agree that that players can definitely benefit benefit a lot by um, really working on that self-image and really understanding, you know, more about really who they are, what are some of their character strengths, what are some of the, um, you know, how do they see themselves as as people, as tennis players. And I think that that really is, um, you know, some something that, that people can really benefit from. For sure. So, um, you know, these things are in many different, you know, books that you can read. Um, this idea of, you know, needing to see yourself in a certain way to, um, so that you don't limit what you can achieve. Um, you know, there are different philosophies on whether, you know, dreaming big or dreaming small or whatever that is. You got to know yourself on that. But um, if you're speaking to yourself in, in, in a negative way when it comes to your tennis and how you compete and whether you can win or lose, um, a lot of that ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so why not create that self-fulfilling prophecy more on the positive and possibility side, more on the optimistic side? You'll learn much more from that, and you'll, you'll end up in a much better place than simply limiting yourself and, and not trying at all. So uh, I think this is, is really important work for people to understand, um, and that, you know, it does take work. It's not as easy as just switching how I think. It's it, 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 there are definitely some exercises to go through. So, um, Jim Lair's The Power of Story, uh, Bob Litwin, his book is called Live the Best Story of Your Life, and then With Winning in Mind, Lanny Basham is a good one. Also, right now, reading Josh, um, Bob Rotella's uh, Make Your Next Shot Your Best Shot, and you know, really, the first chapter is, is on this topic of of seeing yourself in a particular way so that you can, you can achieve certain things in life. Absolutely. And, and 
Yeah, I, I think for any any of our listeners who are also golfers or also you know who maybe follow professional golf, um, yeah, Bob Rutella definitely has a lot of a lot of great 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 books, great great content out there. So so absolutely. Um, I have one final takeaway or great sort of uh, thing that I learned over the past year, and this is a little bit different. This is more in my personal life, more in you know sort of. I think it connects to tennis, but um, not necessarily specific to tennis. Um, so I turned 30 this year, which is um, a milestone. And I think, you know, it probably more than anything, it's kind of the realization that, um, you know, you're that, you know, I'm not a not a kid anymore, not in college anymore, you know, not. Um, and I think kind of in your 20s, you can it can maybe feel like almost like an, an in-between period between sort of that, you know, uh, childhood, adolescence time, you know, college time to sort of that. Um, I don't want to say the real world because I think it's all the real world, but to, um, you know, to, to adulthood. Um, and I think at, at, you know, 30 and maybe it's, it's because people around me or people that I interacted with were sort of asking me about it, but I think it caused, some reflection, I think, you know, probably more than anything, it's, you know, as I'm, you know, at this stage in my life, trying to, you know, trying to invest a little bit more in myself, trying to invest more in my health, trying to just think more about, you know, what are the things that I need to do to, to be the best version of myself. And I, I know that that's something we talk about. And I know it, it, it can be seen in a sort of a cliche way, but it, it really isn't. It's like, you know, can I, you know, can I do the types of things you know, that will essentially pay dividends over time, right? Like one thing that I've started recently over these past couple of months is to start seeing a personal trainer. And I've always heard of, you know, sort of the benefits of that. And, you know, there's obviously the um, financial piece or the investment piece, but it really has been one of the things that I have found that has um, you know, taken my health and my well-being and also just, you know, from a mental standpoint, you know, just feeling more more focused, more present, more just able to fully engage with what I'm doing because I'm taking some of those additional steps on the um, on the health standpoint, on the physical standpoint. And, you know, it doesn't always take a milestone birthday to, um, to make change in that way. It, it can, or, you know, it can be other life events that, that cause that. But I think, um, yeah, just trying to not take things for granted, trying to really you know, sort of understand the compounding nature of things like health and fitness and well-being and trying to really, you know, invest in those, um, both from a, you know, financial standpoint, time standpoint, energy standpoint. Um, and yeah, just just really, um, you know, understanding the importance of it and, and really trying to commit to, um, to to those aspects of things. It's funny that you bring that up because... I had a very similar experience when I turned 30. Um, you know, certainly I have, you know, different challenges than, than, than other people. Um, you know, so like one of the things I really admire about you, Josh, is like your willingness to go travel, you know, all the time, right? You, you really are very good at taking on new experiences. And I realized like when I turned 30 that I wasn't so good at that. I was more like kind of, coasting or afraid of living and i think for me it was that 
sort of stoic existential moment of like, you're not going to live forever. You can't keep postponing things. You have to start living now. And I, and I think that that's, even though that may sound morbid on the outside, it's actually a much better way of living because you tend to appreciate the time that you are in being present, like you were just saying. Um, and so, yeah, does it always have to be a milestone? No, it doesn't. I think maybe for men, it tends to be milestones that do that. I don't know. Um, but I had a very similar experience. And, but it really changed things for the better for me as well to do that. It, it also made me reflect on um, what I wanted from tennis from age 30 on. And my tennis career from age 30 has been, been great, much better than the previous uh, 20, 30 years. So I think it's really kind of cool that you had that moment and that you're, you know, you're taking steps to, to recognize this and, and make some improvements and, and so forth. And it's only, you know, so for me, turning 30 was 25 years ago. What I can say to you is that I think you're going to start even enjoying your life better as you go through your 30s and 40s. Um, you just become wiser and more mature and take things in so much better. Uh, and, and I think, you know, just knowing you and what kind of perspective you have, um, I would expect as you address things like personal training and you're playing more tennis, just that the quality of your life will just continue to get better and better. Well, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, definitely, you know, the, I think the tennis piece as well, you know, I recently, um, you know, I, I live out here in Boulder, Colorado. And, um, you know, this time of year, yes, it, it does tend to be sunny here. So we do have certain days where you can play in December and January outdoors. Um, but indoor tennis is obviously helpful. And I recently joined a, uh, a nearby club and have been trying to, you know, play quite a bit, whether that's playing with other people, whether that's playing some matches, whether that's doing some clinics, even playing with the ball machine, working on my strokes, and just trying to get out there and play more. You know, I had been coaching um, up until about two years ago, up until October of 2021, um, as I was, you know, sort of building my my clientele and and growing my, my practice. Um, but since I've you know, since I took my practice full time, you know, about two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago, um, you know, I haven't played tennis as consistently. And, you know, sometimes I'll get out there on the court and feel a little bit rusty, which is which is frustrating. Um, but yet, yeah, you know, over this past, I'd say month or so, maybe maybe past couple of months, just trying to play more often, you know, looking for different opportunities to get out there and play and um, yeah, definitely. You know, I've, I, I would say, Brian, I've been inspired, you know, as you've talked about sort of that, that realization at the same age at, at 30 and wanting to, you know, bring out your best tennis and sort of have this chapter be, you know, be your, your best chapter. I know you've talked about it from a, um, a mental toughness standpoint, right? So, you know, wanting your mental game at this age to be, to be better and, um, and, and obviously, you know, you, you made that change within your own tennis game and also, you know, went into this field where you can, you know, impact others in a, in a positive way, um, and, and their mental games and, uh, definitely, yeah, definitely, you know, I want to bring out my, my best tennis and I want to be able to apply, you know, the skills that I work on with people to my own game and continue to 
learn and continue to grow. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, definitely an exciting time again. And and it's it's all I think it it really boils down to that it's all about how you view things, right? There's there's two ways, or often more than two ways, to view any situation, right? It'd be easy to say, okay, I'm 30 now. You know, my best years, you know, best years maybe physically. Are, are on the other side, right? You look at some of the pros at, you know, their 20s. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think it's very easy. I think it's it's a better approach to say, you know what? Um, this is a real opportunity in front of me to bring out the best tennis I've ever played, the best, you know, best my mental game's ever been, you know, to impact people in a positive way, to, to really lead by example, which is, again, something, Brian, I've, I've really seen that, that you've done, you know, on the court and, and in other areas and definitely something that I, I strive to do, um, you know, more and more going forward as well. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, people listening can learn from that as well. That just to sort of take stock where you are and, <clears throat> you know, everybody can get better depending on what it is that you want to work on. Um, and so I think it's uh, it's a kind of a good good lesson to end today's episode on. Um, so thank you, Josh, for sharing you know what you have learned in, in 2023, and, and I hope everybody has uh, benefited from from what our conversation was today. So that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for the two of us, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the content that Josh and I discuss on the show, please rate and review the podcast so other tennis enthusiasts can find it more easily. Additionally, to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, and you can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tennis IQ podcast slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the tennis IQ podcast community. Can Thank- I jump in? Can oh I yeah, jump in with- sure. And we have next Thursday, and I'm sure people will be listening to this at different times. So if people are listening to this, you know, further in the future, it may have been in the past, but we will certainly have other events coming up. But um, next Thursday, which is December 28th um, at, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, where I'm located. Um, we're going to have a special end of the year um, event, um, which is both a um, a masterclass, which is sort of an ask me anything, ask us anything um, type of um, type of masterclass where people can um, present specific questions for us and we can answer and interact. And we're also going to be um, discussing the book mindset. Um, so, you know, hope you hope you can join us. Um, we'll put out some things on uh, social media about that as well. But just wanted to uh, to jump in and throw that out there. Yeah, thanks for doing that, Josh. So <clears throat> hopefully we get to see some of the listeners there. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon in our next episode. Yeah.